0: This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Good. Is everybody good? Yeah. Good. Um, I don't know about you, but when I go on a journey, um, how patient are you as a as a driver or as a passenger? Are you pretty patient? I'm awful. So I'll be talking quite normally to my family, then all of a sudden I'll go, "Get out the way!" Or, what are you doing? Or, I'll start talking to people around me. So, I'm quite an impatient driver, to say the least. But one thing with driving, and one invention that um, has absolutely saved me, is what you think it'll be? Sat-nav. Exactly, sat-nav. And now, obviously, back in the days when Philip and I were going out together, and we'd be traveling all over the UK, going here, there and everywhere, we'd have a map, wouldn't we? And so Philip would be driving and I'd have the map and I'm a pretty good map reader, I do have to say. (laughs) Does somebody want to throw something to the walls the front right now? But I am a pretty good map reader. The only thing is when I'm reading a map, I do have to do this kind of, you know, which way am I going? I'm going that way so the map has to, I have to actually face the map the way that I'm going. And I'm not very good in my left and right either. So I'll go, you need to turn right. And I, I've got to do hand signals and I get them wrong. And then we used to go all over the place and get lost. And then the map had to come back out then, didn't it? Because you've got to check your map again uh, and the good old map. Then in what year was the good old Tom Tom available? Do you know? Can you remember? Anyone has to guess? 2001, 2005. 2001, 2005? 2004. The tom-tom arrived. Now that was my absolute saviour, because you just, do you remember them? I mean, we don't even use them anymore. But we put, popped in the destination. Well, okay. Okay, some of you do. Some of you do. You used to pop in your destination, and it used to give you your average time. It used to tell you where to go. Remember? And you had to stick it onto your windscreen and when it was introduced in 2004 it was fastest selling gadget and has surpassed any sort of smartphone because everybody wanted to get their hands on this navigational system it was your traffic jam answer to prayer wasn't it because it used to you know you could say all right i don't want to go this way now you could avoid the motorway if you knew there was an accident or whatever and it could take you off um on a different path so what do we got now now we've got it on our phones, haven't we? For anybody who's in this century, Gary, uh, we've got it on our phones. And the difference being now compared to then is this real time. Because what it does now, now I'm no techie, so I'm probably going to get home and Philip's going to go, you said that all wrong. Okay? And he speaks like that as well when he puts a face... <laughs> When he's, when he's giving me a bit of a row, he puts that stupid face on and speaks like that, so he knows a bit. Um, so when I get home, I might get a row because I might not be technically correct here. But now, as far as I'm aware, there are so many kind of satellite systems up there that we keep adding to that now it's real time. So basically what the phone app does is it picks up from the satellite that somebody four miles down there, who's also got their GPS on, is delayed. And it works out how much they delay. So it can actually work out, because the old TomTom didn't do this, it can actually work out how much more of a delay you're going to have. And some of them now, I mean, if you go to Waze, the app, the Travel Waze, Waze will actually not even tell you, it'll just take you on a different route because it knows it's quicker. It'll also tell you if there's police on the side of the road as well, so you don't have to, you can slow down. It is, yeah. <laughs> So you can slow down just before you see the policeman. Not that anybody here speeds, of course. Um, But it tells you. So it is absolutely amazing. So sophistication-wise, we are just, let's be honest, it blows me away sometimes um, with all the GPS system. And so when I go on my journey, I rely on my GPS. Am I hissing? I rely on my uh, GPS, whether I know where I'm going or not. I remember buying my father. A Tom Tom, um, back in the day, and he used to put it on to come to my house. Um, yes, and he'd be like, "This brought me all the way to your house." I'm like, "But you know the way to my house." And he's like, "Yeah," but he was so fascinated by the Tom Tom. And I still put my sat nav on um, today because I like to know if you, even if I know where I'm going, I like to know kind of. Look, I don't look like Madonna anymore. This is like getting now, isn't it? So, um, but anyway, I like to know kind of what time I'm going to get there. And if I need to be there by a certain time, I always put the sat-nav on because obviously it can tell me if there's going to be delay and I can decide to go a different route if I want to, et cetera, et cetera. So I still use my sat-nav even though um, I know where I'm going. And so what I want to talk to you today a little bit about is that I think the biggest journey I'm on is my life. Don't you agree? And unlike a destination, I I would hate to guess if I had to go now, if you told me to go to Okay, I know that's south, but that's as far as it goes. Okay, I wouldn't know where to jump on. And even now, I'd rely so much on my sat-nav, even if I make a journey several times. If somebody says to me, what road do you on? I broke down on Thursday and the guy said to me, what road do you on? I'm like, I don't know, I'm on this one. It's like, you know, so, and to be honest, he actually used the GPS because I pressed a button in my car and he says, oh, I just picked you up. You're on such and such a road in on. I'm like, cool. That's how cool the GPS systems are. And so my life is a journey, one which I've got to be honest, I don't want to get wrong. And so why would I do life guessing which path to take and guessing which road to take? That would be really, really silly, wouldn't it? So I've got my satnav here. This is my satnav. And so the Bible, for anybody listening online, in case you wonder what it is. I've got my Bible and this is my sat nav. And if I'm stuck, or if I've gone the wrong way, or if I'm not sure how to go, this has got every single answer you need. It's got—it's a satnav. You've just got to turn it on, and you've just got to listen to the voice that's coming out of that Bible. If you haven't got a satnav, I suggest you get a satnav. And the best way to get the satnav is not only own the satnav, but to know its author as well. You see, the GPS system has to have the maps and the roads and whatever installed into it, isn't it? So the old TomTom, if you remember, had a little card. Don't know what they call it, but you shoved it in. But if you'd had in a long time, that wasn't always up to date, was it? So sometimes you'd be travelling and all of a sudden the road disappears. Or it tries to take you somewhere where the road doesn't exist. It's because the little SD card or whatever it's called hasn't been updated. Now, with real time, it's all literally as they change the road, it's on. That Bible is my real-time satnav. Even though it was written many, many years ago, it is relevant today as it was when it was written back then. So today, what I want to do is I want to look at a part of our journey in life that we need to use the satnav for. And it's the part of the journey where we get stuck. You see, back before Christmas, I was due to go to London. Philip was up in London. I was due to join him. And I was rushing a little bit in the morning. I left in plenty of time, but I didn't like, have the news on. I didn't check my phone or anything. I jumped in the car. As I always do, put the sat-nav on to make sure I had plenty of time. And lo and behold, guess what? I get stuck. I get as far as crosshands roundabout and there's traffic everywhere. Check my sat-nav. The road has turned red. We all know what that means. We are going to be here for a long time. Every adjoining road was red. So I thought, right, what's happened? Put the news on. And on the news, there had been an accident on the M4. The M4 was closed and they were diverting everybody through the bond. Okay. Now at eight o'clock in the morning, rush hour traffic. That's not a good idea. I had a train to catch. So guess what? I was in the traffic thinking, right, what am I going to do? Am I going to turn back and just give up? Am I going to stay here and see how long it takes? My sat-nav was telling me, okay, I'm going to miss that train. I'm going to miss that train. I might catch the third train. I was trying to work it all out. If I go through the bond, is there anywhere else I can go? Which way can I go? I'm trying to work all this out. When in the end, I thought, you know what? My phone filler, by the time I got into London, crossed London to get to where he was, lunch would have been served. I might have got there for like the after eight, which isn't a bad option. I quite like after eights, but it's a long way to go just for the uh, chocolate and the coffee at the end. So I decided to turn back. But without the sat-nav, I could have been sat there for ages, couldn't I? Or I could have gone somewhere else and been up there for ages. I wouldn't have been able to make the right decision at the right time. So today, I want to look at the part of the journey in our life where we hit a roadblock or we hit a traffic jam. Something happens that just stops us in the tracks. We have to make a decision. Do we turn back? Do we go a different way? Do we stay here and hope that the traffic eventually clear so today what I want to do is turn the sat-nav on to see what it says when we get to the roadblock is that okay you see Sarah spoke a couple of weeks back um, if you remember about open and closed doors and she said about the closed doors you know don't kind of try and open them God closes them for a reason but she also said that when they close generally something else opens and the same with the roadblock isn't it You've got the choice of staying, or you can divert a little bit and go on a detour. But you see, when you've got your sat-nav, if you're guessing, you could get it wrong. But when you've got your sat-nav that knows everything that's in front, you're going to make probably the correct decision. So how do you make that decision? We listen to the sat-nav. Here's an example of somebody who listened to their sat-nav. Horatio Spafford, and apologies, not that he's alive now, but apologies if I pronounced that wrong, was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago with a lovely family, a wife, Anna, and five children. Their young son died of pneumonia in 1871 and in that same year, much of their business was lost in the great Chicago fire. Roadblocks, yeah? On November the 21st, 1873, the French ocean liner, Ville de Havre, was crossing the Atlantic from the US to Europe with 313 passengers on board. Among the passengers was Mrs Spafford and their four daughters. Although Mr Spafford had planned to go with the family, he'd found it necessary to stay in Chicago to help solve an unexpected business problem. He told his wife he would join her and the children in Europe in a few days' time. His plan was to take another ship. After four days into the crossing of the Atlantic, the liner collided with a powerful Ironhurst Scottish ship, the Loch Urn. Suddenly, all those on board were in grave danger. It took just 12 minutes for the liner to slip beneath the deep waters of the Atlantic, carrying with it 226 of the passengers, including the four children. A sailor, a sailor rowing a small boat over the spot where the ship went down, spotted a woman floating on a piece of wreckage. It was Anna, still alive. He pulled it onto the boat, and they were picked up by another large vessel, which in nine days later landed in Cardiff, from where she wired her husband a message. It said, saved alone. what shall I do? Mr Spafford later framed the telegram and placed it in his office. Mr Spafford booked, passenger, booked passage onto the next available ship and left to join his grieving wife. With the ship about four days out, the captain called Spafford to his cabin and told him that they were over the place where his children went down. I'm going to get upset now. It was then on this journey to meet his wife that the grieving father wrote When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot. How could you say that, isn't it? Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well with my soul. How could he pen that? Could you pen that? Could you be, have that attitude in that moment of that roadblock? So today I want to look at somebody else who had a similar roadblock. And what I want to do is pick out from that story in the Bible, some sat nav instructions for us. So that when we hit a roadblock, how can we turn around and say, it is well with my soul? Is that okay? cool I'll give myself time to get myself together the story is found in two kings four verse eight to 36 and I'll read it very quickly one day Elisha went to sh- and pr- uh, forgive my pronunciation of these strange words Shunan I think it says an important woman was there who talked him into eating some food every time he passed by he would turn there to eat food she said to her husband now I see that this is a holy man of God was always passing by let's make a little room on the second floor and let us put a bed in there for him and a table and a chair and a lamp then he will come to us and he'll stay with us one day Elisha came and went to the room on the second floor and rested he said to Gehiza his servant call this Shunammite then he called her she came and stood in front of him Elisha said to Gehiza now tell us see you've done much for us what can we do for you should I speak to the king or the captain of the army for you? She answered, I live among my own people. So Elisha said, well, what can we do for you? Gehizar answered, she has no son and her husband is old. Elisha said to her, call her. And they called her and he said, at, the time, at this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. And she said, no, my Lord, O oh man of God, do not lie to this woman servant. She's basically saying, Come on, my husband's old. I've waited for a son for so long. Don't lie to me. Don't raise my hopes. Later, she was going to have a child and she gave birth to a son at that same time the next year, as Elisha had told her. When the child was grown, he went down one day to his father who was with her gathering grain. He said to his father, oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he brought him to his mother, he sat on on her knee until noon and then he died. Roadblock. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. She shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. Her husband said, why do you want to see him today? It's not that time of the new moon or the day of rest. And she said, it'll be all right. Then she put a seat on the donkey and said to a servant, drive on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you, go ahead to the man, uh, Elisha. As they got closer, she said, see, this is a Shunammite. Run now to meet her. Say to her, it is well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, it is well. Guys, it wasn't well. Yeah, it wasn't well. But she said, it is well. When she came to the mountain of the man of God, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came near to push it away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is troubled within her. The Lord has hidden it from me. She has told me, he has told me. Then she said, did I ask you for a son? Did I not say don't lie to me? Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my walking stick and go. If you meet any man, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, don't answer him. Lay my stick on the boy's face. The mother of the boy said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So Elisha got up and followed her. Gehazi went on before them and laid the stick on the boy's face. But there was no sound or anything to show that the boy was alive. So Gehazi returned to Elisha and told him, the boy is not awake. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the boy lying dead on his bed. So he went in, shut the door behind the two of them and he prayed. He went up and lay on the child. He put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. Spread himself out on him and the child's flesh began to warm. Then Elisha got up again. He walked from one end of the house to the other. Then he went up and spread himself on the child again. The boy sneezed. Several times and opened his eyes. Elisha called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came, he said, take up your son. What a tragedy. Yeah, this woman hadn't had a child, you know, back in those days to not have a child was shameful. She probably felt cursed. And now there's this man of God coming and saying, you're going to have a child. And she's saying, look, don't lie to me. Don't raise my hopes. I've been longing for this for years. I'm happy. Well, happy maybe is the wrong word, but I am satisfied with what I've got. My husband is old. Please don't raise my hopes. But here we are a year later, just as Elisha said, she has a child. Oh my gosh. How thrilling is that? How amazing is that? But sometime later, as she's journeying through her life, he dies. Kind of, where's the sense in that, God? You give, and now seemingly, you've taken away. So nobody would blame her for saying, do you know what? I've got to this roadblock. I've got to this traffic jam. I'm not going anymore. I'm going back. Nothing would have blamed her at all. God answered her prayer with a son, and now he'd allowed him to be taken away. In verse nine, she said to her husband, now I see that this is a holy man of God who is always passing by. Let's make a little room on the second floor Let's put a bed in there and a table and a chair and a lamp. And then when he comes to us, he can go in there. You see, the first sat-nav instruction that we can see from here is, I'm not going to put the voice on, turn left, at the next, whatever. The first sat-nav instruction is you need to make room. What's your spare room like? If you come to our house, probably break your neck, getting from the door to the window in our spare room. It's, you get to, uh, it, seriously, you can't get in uh, some of our spare rooms. And if you clean out your spare room, have you ever cleaned out your spare room? You've got stuff in there that you thought you'd thrown out, but suddenly it's back in the spare room. So I'm sure I threw that out. You've got stuff that's broken. You've got stuff you never knew you had. I mean, in our house, we've got boxes from our first house that are still kind of cellar taped up. And you think, what on earth is that? There's just stuff everywhere. And the problem is when you've got stuff everywhere your room then ceases to be the room that it was planned to be so we've got a spare room that we planned having teenage girls to be a gym but guess what it's not a gym well it is kind of because it's like an assault course because you've got to climb over everything to get to the back so technically I suppose it could be called a gym but you see when you pack your life full of stuff there is no room for what it intended it to be Ephesians 4 says get rid of your old self, which made you live as you used to. The old self has been destroyed by its deceitful desires. Your heart and mind must be made new and you must put on the new. So just like in the natural, when we don't intentionally make room in our schedules, the things that become important to us just get kind of in the mix, don't they? You know, if you don't schedule family time, if you don't schedule thinking time, if you don't schedule fun time, if you don't schedule God time, it won't happen. It won't happen. And if you don't make room for God, other less important things will just remove God out of your life and will replace those God encounters. Imagine how different the story in Second Kings would have been if she hadn't have made room for Elisha. If she hadn't have invited the man of God into her world, how different might that story have ended up? Can God stay at your house? Can God come into your life? Do you have room for him? Or has he got to stop and pass on because there's just no room for him in your world? Elisha was very grateful for what this woman had done for them. So he went to her and asked the servant, as we've read, about the situation with the lady and she said to him nothing i'm secure and satisfied in my family that's the message version when it was brought to elisha's attention about the son he said no in a year's time you will have the son what destinations have you given up on because this woman had clearly given up on that destination and she she'd given up on the fact that she would have a son because of the reality of the the father and uh, the, the husband being old, etc. she'd given up on it. So what destinations have you given up on? What road haven't you travelled because you didn't know how or you've been told you can't or you didn't think you were able or you didn't think you were young enough or you didn't think you were old enough? Which path have you not travelled? You might be saying, I prayed a long time ago for that and it hasn't happened. So it ain't going to happen now. You know, the plans and purposes of God in a person's life don't come with a sell by date or a use by date or an expi- um, expiry date. Verse 17 says, But the woman conceived and she bore a son about the same time that Elisha said she had. You see, when we make room for God, when we make room for God to move in, and when God does then move in, he, you will be astonished by what he's able to achieve. So the first Satnav instruction is please make room the second sat nav instruction on our journey in life is take things back to the source you see when i get stuck on a, on a journey somewhere i immediately go to my satnav. how else can i make this journey how long am i going to be here for how how long is that red line what does my eta say when am i going to arrive can i take another route i go back to my satnav. and that's exactly what this lady did she took it back to the source You see, what she did is when her son died in her arms, she took him and lay him on the bed of the man of God. The man of God that had foretold of the boy's birth, she took the problem back to the source. You see, the lady recognised that God was the source of the promise. And now he was the only one that could restore the promise. What we have to remember is the battle isn't ours, it's God's. So let's take it to him and let him solve it. 1 Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him. All your anxiety on him. The fact is, if you are God's child, then your problems are his problems. He's much better fighting your battle than you are, despite what you might think. Your job is purely to trust him and let him do it. Proverbs tells us in all your ways. How many ways? All your ways. Acknowledge him and he will. Direct your path. Has God ever lost a battle? That's, he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't lose battles. You see, God doesn't bring us so far just to let us down. He didn't give this lady a son just for a few years later for her to lose him. So, what did she do then? She left the boy on the bed of the man of God. Do you hear what I said? She left him there. You see, once you've taken your issues to God, leave them there. Don't pick them back up. It's so easy and sometimes almost nice to keep them with us. I've spoken before about carrying your baggage and carrying other people's baggage and picking stuff up that you don't need to pick up. This woman had left her dead son alone on this bed and left because she knew that that's what she needed to do. And that's what we need to do when we're going through stuff. Yes, it's important to share. Yes, it's important to get advice but we need to take it to God and we need to leave it with God. She didn't put her energy into what had happened. She put her energy into what could happen. She didn't look back. She looked forward. She didn't go back. She went forward. She left the problem with God. You know, Second Chronicles says, but you will not even need to fight. Take your possession, stand still and watch God's Sorry, watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. You know, we just to me. I know your thoughts. Your plans for me are good. Your promises never fail. So let's take them to God. Let's trust God. Let's leave them with God. Let's move forward, not back. So, second Satnav instruction is leave it with God. Take it back to the source and leave it with God. Thirdly, Expect God to act. You see, notice what the lady did. During the Bible times and, and cultures today, burial is usually performed within 24 hours because of the climate. Because obviously, bodies deteriorate, obviously. And with the heat, they normally bury them very quickly. So a son had just died. But instead of making funeral arrangements, she was making arrangements not for his death, but she was making arrangements for his life. She didn't waste any time. She rushed to find Elisha. Acknowledge it again that only God could help her in the situation. And when she speaks, notice what she says. Even when her husband asked her, because her husband was unaware of what was going on, even when her husband asked her, she said, It'll be all right. And when Elisha's servants asked her how she was, she said, It is well. She's not, Well, I'm hoping it'll be well. Well, I think it might be well. Well, it might be if I do this or whatever. No, it is fine it is going to be all right it is well statements of faith you see despite the circumstances despite what maybe natural reality was telling her she knew that the god who brought her this life was also the god that could restore it Psalm 42 says oh my soul don't be discouraged don't be upset expect god to act Look what God did when Moses stretched out his arm across the Red Sea. Look what God did when David stood in front of Goliath. Look what God did when Daniel was in the lion's den. Look what God did when Peter and John spoke to the lame man at the temple. Look what God did when Peter stepped out of the boat. Look what God did with the little boy who brought Jesus his packed lunch. You know, we say so often, if he can do it for them, he can do it for you. We sing the songs, don't we? I've seen you move. You move the mountains and I believe you can do it again. But do we? But do we? Because sometimes our actions would suggest that maybe, just maybe, we don't expect God to act. Matthew 7 says, ask, the gift is yours. Seek and you will discover. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For every persistent one will get what he asks for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he longs for. And everyone who knocks persistently will one day find the open door. The next Satnav um, instruction, number four. You need to realize that God will restore and some. Yeah? God will restore and some. You see, seven years later, we pick up the story again in 2 Kings chapter eight. On Elisha's advice, She had left everything she knew, her home, her friends, everything that she'd built up in her life to avoid the famine. And here she was now wanting to come home. So in she comes to the king. She says, I want to come home. I want my land back. And as she comes to the king, coincidentally, as we know, there's no coincidences with God. But coincidentally, the king is talking to Elisha's servant about the miracle that Elisha had done with this very son. Verse 5 said, this is the woman. He says when she comes in, this is the woman. And this is the son whom Elisha brought back to life. The king wanted to know all about this, So she told him the story. The king assigned an officer to personally take care of her. Saying, make sure she gets everything back that is hers. Plus. Make sure she gets everything back that she has that is hers. Plus. All the profits from the farm from the time she left until now. You see, God uses what you've been through, not just to restore, but to give you more. God uses what you've been through, not just to restore, but to give you more. So think for a second, when you restore something, you normally bring it back to its original uh, condition, you? You hear the phrase, it's as good as new. To be restored is to be brought back to the right place. To be restored is to be brought back to the right condition. But when God restores, he doesn't just restore to the original condition. That's not the way God does things. He makes it better than it ever, ever was. Deuteronomy 30 says, God will restore everything you lost. He will have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places that you were scattered. No matter how far away you end up. God will get you out of there and bring you back to the land of your ancestors you've once possessed. It will be yours again. He will give you a good life and make you more numerous than your ancestors. Amen? Sometimes we don't know why we have to go through things. We don't know why we get to these traffic jams. We don't know why we're in a certain season, but God never, ever wastes a season. So if you're longing to recover lost years, if you're longing to recover broken relationships, if you're longing to recover hurt feelings, or you're longing to recover your distance from God, then you need to know the God who restores. The final Satnav instruction is, this includes you. Includes you, and you, and you, and you, and you. You see, verse 8 says an important woman was there. So the first thing we go back to the beginning of the story is to realise from this story is that this lady is not even named. We don't know who this woman is. But it doesn't matter who she is. This lady didn't know Elisha. Elisha didn't know this lady. It was a chance meeting. He was just passing and she decided, I'll feed him. She decided, I'll make room for him. You might think that no one knows you. You might think that no one cares about you. You might think that what you've done in your past or what you're doing now, that people are just like, oh, my gosh, dismiss you. And those feelings then or those thoughts would bring feelings of worthlessness. No one cares about me. You might not think that you're important. You might not think that you have a voice. You might not think that no one is listening to you. You might not think that you can do anything significant. You might not think that you can change your path. You might not think that you can reach the destination. You might not think that you will, could ever move from the spot that you're in at the moment. But you know, it doesn't matter who knows you. What matters is that God knows you. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. What matters is what God thinks about you. So this morning, if you have little or no self-worth, then you need to realize the only thing that matters is what God thinks. When he created you, let's make this personal. When he created you, he took time over you. He took special time to mold you from the clay. He took special time to put Adam to sleep and take his rib and make you as a female. Everything else in creation, he spoke into place. But you, he took time over. You, he took time over. Listen to some of the things the Bible tells us. Before God formed you in your mother's womb, he chose you. Before you were born, he set you apart. He knows you inside and out. He knows every bone in your body. He knows exactly how you were made, bit by bit. How you were sculpted from nothing into something. He watched you grow from conception to birth. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He has called you by name because he knows you. He has chosen you even though you maybe don't believe you deserve it. You may think you're nothing, but he thinks you're everything. He loves you even when you feel unlovable. He forgives you even when you maybe can't forgive yourself. You are victorious, even though you may feel powerless. You are more than a conqueror, even though you may think you're a failure. So today, if you're about to veer off your designated journey, If you've decided to turn off the sat-nav or to turn the volume down and try your own thing. If you've taken the wrong turn and now you're feeling that you're lost, that you don't know where to go. If you're stuck in a traffic jam and think, oh my gosh, I'm not moving from here. If you're stuck and you can't see your destination anymore. You might be on the wrong road completely and you have no idea where you're heading. Turn your sat-nav back on turn your sat nav back on start listening to what the sat nav is saying to you so make room go back to the source expect God to ask to act sorry know that God is waiting to restore you and know that this message is for you